podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Pompey Pubcast that combines the beers and the blues. Barros for Pompey, round Koshak goes down, penalty to Portsmouth and Old Trafford. Barros tripped by Thomas Koshak, who sent off Lantari do the job. He steps up, left-footed, scores yes. for Pompey. They lead in Old Trafford in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Jamalo's onside, the flag sneak down, Jamalo, nonchalant, fantastic, brilliant. Portsmouth Football Club are promoted to League One. Curtis across the face of goal. This is Three Lads in the Pub. Episode three, Three Lads in the Pub. And the probably the rowdiest pub we've been in so far. They're not the rowdiest, the loudest. The Shearer. Is it the Shearer Arms? Shearer Arms, yeah. yeah you need to teach me about pubs, Jeff. Not the Newcomb Arms. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's just get that over and done with. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, look, I'll, I'll hold my hands up. I went to the wrong pub. I set all the stuff up. Everyone was looking at me like, what is that Pratt doing? Uh, even the landlord, <laughs> fair play to him. I didn't, didn't catch his name. He, he sort of went along with it. Um, but yeah, I went to the wrong pub. So uh, yeah. it's when you text me, he said, "Are we in the same pub?" And I was like, "Ah, the Shearer Arms and Shearer Road." <laughs> Three lads in a pub is a catchy name. Then two lads in one pub and another lad in another pub. <laughs> one lad in the wrong pub. Uh, but there we go. We are we are finally here uh, for episode three. But yeah, good evening. Good to be back on a, on a yeah after after a positive week, Jeff as well. Definitely positive, and and uh, and speaking of positives, I'm on the beer Moretti tonight, not Shandy. So that is a massive positive. <laughs> um, uh, let's not let's not talk about what I've got because I got ripped for that last week. But Ryan, you've gone for is that Guinness? I've gone for a Guinness. As soon as us, if I see it on tap in a pub, I have to give it a try. Yeah. I mean, I was too stressed to even look at the taps as I came in because, I, like I said, I was... So you've got a Coke here, but what what, what did you have at the Newcomb? <laughs> I, I didn't actually get that far. Okay. Um, I was so embarrassed. He's um, too busy packing up. <laughs> I, honestly, it is one of the most embarrassing moments of my life that... That's got to be up there, but look, we'll move on from that. If, you, yeah. if, you, if you listen to this from Newcomb Arms, can you post a comment of what actually happened? In a few weeks' time, we should uh, we should arrange to go back to the Newcomb, but tell Liam we're back in the Shearer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bit of a bit of game of Where's Wally or something like that. Uh, but yeah, apologies again to, to the guys at the Newcomb, but they were brilliant down there. So we'll, we'll, go, we'll definitely go down there at some point. But yeah, we've we've moved from uh, we're at the Rutland Arms last week and the week before. We will be back there, but like we said, we were we're, we're going to do a bit of pub hopping. Is that is that, is that a thing? <laughs> pub hopping. Uh, but Jack, Jeff, back to the week. Obviously Tuesday, good win at Lincoln, uh, and then followed up by another good win against Gillingham on it, Saturday. Yeah, it's been it's been a tremendous week for the Blues, and you know if we look back six eight weeks, we were. 14 points adrift from from the top of the league and we've cut that down to six points but what is more more amazing is that the other teams above us haven't gained any more ground we've closed that that gap down to six points but we've caught up all the other teams as well you know because they could easily still be 10 12 points above us but they're not so you know tremendous win on tuesday um, I thought we looked a bit leggy yesterday, but that's understandable because of the result on, on Tuesday night. Let's go back to let's go back to Tuesday and we'll sort of talk about that. Then we'll come to Saturday as well, Ryan, in a sec. But I, I mean, I didn't see that coming 3-0 away at Lincoln on a Tuesday night. 
What a I've, treat that was for the away following. It's a long way to go on a Tuesday night, especially when you consider that actually getting to Lincoln, uh, you end up the last hour of the journey not on motorways. You get on the foggy A roads heading deep into darkest Lincolnshire. It's quite a cramped away end. The, the elements are quite exposed because it's not an entirely covered ground. I've been there on a Tuesday night before, as a lot of Pompey fans yep. have. You are open to it. It's, it's a very windy place to be, but... The performance we put in against an albeit struggling down on themselves Lincoln side who in the playoff final last year, we were quite domineering. From the first minute, we were looking to get at them. We were quite direct. We moved the ball with a lot more intent. We moved it north-south rather than east-west. And throughout the game, we created a series of chances. The biggest regret was the more chances piled up, the scoreboard wasn't moving for quite a while in that game. The first goal goes in at quite an opportune time. It was a little bit of a spell where Lincoln started to look like one of those teams where, oh no, we haven't made it two yet and that's going to cost us. But towards the end of the game, George Hurst gets his first goal. Rico Hackett sees his free kick fly into the wall and he gives it the most, well, bollocks to this, I'm having another crack at it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and definitely. What, what definitely. Uh, well, I'm having another crack at it, it was. He just ran forward just swung his left boot at it and it flew in it was a fantastic finish and yeah for the for the fans that made that long journey up on a tuesday night they got a fantastic win to take home with them and considering some of the motorway closures i do know some pompey fans that went into the best part of three four in the morning yeah yeah that was uh i looked like an interesting journey home i didn't actually do that one on tuesday but yeah it looked like an absolute pain in the ass that one on the way home but yeah go, going back to to the win jeff and well, great for hurst again to, to get on the school sheet and uh, Hackett Fairchild we knew he had that in his locker you know he's got a screamer that, well, what a finish that was yeah you, you know we, we knew he had a, a decent left peg on him we saw that at that free kick against Burton when he put it put it in the top um, and, and you thought what's he going to do is he going to try and it looked like him and Ronan were talking about hitting it low because there was no one laying down on the floor keep it low see if they jump um, He, of course he was fortuitous with a let's smash it and see what happens but even to even to hit it whilst the defender is trying to close you down and nestle it into that bottom right corner, it was just fantastic to see. And, it, and it just, for me, it just epitomises never to give up, take your opportunity, yeah. shoot on shoot on sight of the goal. You know the old cliche: you know, if you don't buy a ticket, don't win, don't win in the raffle, do you? You, you almost hope that he shouted "yeet" when he, yeah. when he hit it, <laughs> um. Gerard. <laughs> <laughs> what a finish that was as well but Harness again Ryan absolutely on fire isn't he purple patches for Marcus Harness is something that we've often seen during his time here he I remember last season the uh, the Covid season if we're calling it that went back to his old club Burton scored a, an extraordinary hat-trick there and for the rest of the month balled out like the player that you, you sometimes think would show up maybe a little bit more than what he does but I do remember on the podcast we all sort of agreed last week that there are certain players in this team that after a couple of years you've realised that they've hit that ceiling they've hit the highest height they're ever going to achieve at this club with Harness though I don't know if it's just blind faith I always think there's a little bit more in him there's a little bit more he can unlock to to change him from being a one in five one in four player to maybe a one in three because if you look at someone like Ronan Curtis if you look at the goals and assists that he's had for this club during his time here 
a lot of people seem to treat him like he's a one in five. Actually, for the record, he returns and the energy he brings, he's more of a one in three, really. It's, it's not quite one in two. And Harness, I still believe, can get to that level. The month he's having recently, and as I reference again on the podcast, it's, it's not just what he returns on the scoreboard it's the effort he brings as well that Harrow game in the cup he had so many players phoning the job in but him and Romeo on that right hand side they didn't care they were playing a team 82 places blowing them in the football pyramid they were bringing the juice all game long and they were you could see you could see the differences when a player is giving 100% and really wants to make a difference because I thought he was absolutely brilliant in that game and you may think it's weird that you reference a game against a quite literally an amateur side as as a as a boon for a player but in those moments where you can see the differences yeah. you see what a player brings you see how committed they are to the cause and f- for Harness I think that's been emblematic of a season for him where he really is giving you know moving heaven and earth to bring this team forward and in the last month we're seeing the the, the actual fruit of that on the scoreboard and all credit to him definitely I think over the last two seasons we, you could argue that our left side was our strongest side with the, with the relationship that Brown and Curtis have down the left. I think this season, since um, Romeo's come in, Romeo and Harness is now building up that, that understanding, that interchange, overlaps and everything else. And you can argue now that potentially our right side is, is our strongest side now with, with Harness in this you know, purple patch of form. It makes me funny because you, you referenced the Burton game there from the other season. And I remember putting on social media... Is it me or is this Harness the most overrated Pompey player ever? And he scored a hat-trick. The first <laughs> podcast, I said, you know, he's a bit hit and miss for me. You just think he's going to do this. And he does something else. And he's just gone on another... It, it seems like whenever I kind of say something slight against him, he goes out and, and proves me wrong. It's like, I don't know. I think it's at this point you should announce that we're in a relegation battle. <laughs> and we're just going to saunter to the championship off the back of it. Uh, actually, that's the point. Speaking of that... Uh, we're undefeated since the podcast started, so I'm not saying that we should take the credit for this fine run of form. But if you'd like to e- email freeladsinthepubgmail.com or make a donation, to- <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right though. That is that is, that is fact. A few people have pointed that elsewhere. Since we've been doing this podcast, we've been brilliant. <laughs> that long may it continue. Maybe they're listening. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe they do. Artists, they keep scoring. Last week when we mentioned that. Uh, that we had a a bit of a defensive crisis for the following games we did mention that actually we could return to three at the back with Rico Hackett (laughs) a left wing back lo and behold that's what we've done for two games and uh, clean sheet victories that's all I'm saying I also while you were talking of uh, mentioning things in the podcast I mentioned (laughs) Ronan Curtis to be captain uh, and he got the captain you know and I I agreed with you last week and 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 you you listened to Danny Cowley yesterday say the reasons why he gave it to Ronan um, he wants Ronan to be a leader within that group. And actually, you know, watching Ronan yesterday on the pitch, I thought he actually conducted himself pretty well. We know he likes to talk to the referee anyway, but when you saw him talking to the ref, he, he, he seemed to be doing it with more composure than what he normally does. Yes, he put, waved his arms around and moaned, but any player does. But actually, when, when, when there was a decision that was made against us or fought whatever... He was there and he's talking to the ref and trying to get his point across. I thought I thought he'd done really well yesterday. And I heard a few times that he, uh, you know, players have missed chances and he was straight over, you know, um, could, uh, you know, pat- patting them on the back, getting them, getting them g'd up again. And even in that video at the end of the game, you could see him shouting like, "Let's stick together." That's what you want. 
we, we've been yeah. crying out for that leader. Look, I know he, it's it's only a temporary, you know, yeah, thing. Obviously, Brown. So, Brown got, for me, he's got a point to prove. You know, yeah, yeah. He, he he's proud for playing for Pompey. We've given him his chance. Really, in professional football, yes, he is professional football in Ireland. But let's be honest, it's a totally different Big level, step up, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah. Um, we've given him his professional chance in the UK, in England. We've given him the captaincy yesterday. And he, you could see the pride he had in wearing that armband. I think the mantra in American sports is they, they like to say next man up. So it doesn't matter if your star player is injured, you've got a suspension here, you've got a player that's unavailable for this reason. Whatever the gap is, it's next man up. Whoever's job it is to fill that role still has to fulfill that role with as, you know, as much sincerity and as much intensity as possible and execute the task ahead of them. You can't make excuses. All you can do at the end of the game after the 90 minutes has gone up is make sure you've left it all on the field both mentally and physically. And considering the shortages Pompey had yesterday, Armband had to go to somewhere else. Yes, it was a scrappy game. We weren't brilliant. And, and watching it back again, because you, you can watch entire games back on iFollow if you uh, have an account with the club. You can watch full 90 minutes. Watching it back again, we weren't brilliant. But I didn't see anyone... I didn't see shoulders sloping. I, I didn't see a lack of commitment to the cause. Yes, there were some sloppy mistakes. But I saw a group yesterday that, once again, earlier in the season, we were talking about oh, these players seem to disappear after 70 minutes. You can't go into a football game, get to that marker, and say, well, that's us for the game. We'll see you next week. Hopefully, they won't score in the meantime. Once again, Pompey is still asking questions in stoppage time making telling differences in stoppage time I know this one was a bit fortunate but a couple of months ago Pompey wouldn't have been a presence in stoppage time here we are again right at the the business end of the game and Pompey are coming out on the favourable side of a, of a huge moment in the game and we questioned for a while Danny Cowley wants to talk about intensity making sure his Pompey sides are always working hard we haven't seen that for quite a while. Through the first 15 games, I hadn't seen that in, in all phases of play through the game. You're starting to see it now. If you break the season down into thirds, so you've got your first 15 games, middle thir uh, first 15 games, middle 15, last 15, slash 16. The first 15, I couldn't identify with this Pompey side. The last month and a half or so, I'm just starting to see what this team might be made of what Danny Cowley and Nicky Cowley want this team to be made of and any success this team has this season we've still got a ways to go it might just be built on the fact that as we approach winter they're starting to identify themselves still short of a few numbers though well, I, I, are, I do agree you know, we are crying out for a centre forward who's going to get double figures towards from January to the end of the season um, is Hurst going to do that? I don't. I, I really like him. Uh, you know, he's really grown on uh, me. We we were chatting via text uh, yesterday, weren't we? And we were saying, you know, for what Hurst does and brings to the team about holding it up, he's powerful on the ball and everything else. And then you look at Marquis and go, okay, he's great at pressing and 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 you know leading from the front and and closing down the defence to put him under pressure. So they both got attributes. But when you look at their finishing in front of goal. They're pretty much the same, but they've got. It, it, it depends on what style we want to play. You know, if we want to press early, then obviously it's Marquise. If you want, you want someone to hold the ball up, it's Hurst. So you've got to find that balance in between about who can press, who can hold up, and who can score goals. And that's the conundrum. And that's why 
if we can get a striker in who is going to get 10 goals, you've got three different options then for up front to slot in. Yes, we need another central defender. Um, you know, we know that's a, a problem area. Um, and where do you put the third person? Is it a winger? I don't think it is. I, I honestly think it's another central midfield player. Someone who can come in and influence the game if need be. Any names? Well, allegedly he was at the ground yesterday, <laughs> wasn't he? Uh, yeah, we don't, know, we don't have to make the story ourselves right now because he was there. But, uh, uh, that's another thing we've mentioned and he's, he's at the game. Come on, they're listening to us, aren't they? Yeah, I'm waiting for what the else, what four, do we four want? lads to uh, put that video out. What do we want? What do we want now? What do we want next? Uh, new car, please. <laughs> <laughs> win, the, win the Euro Millions. Yeah. Just uh, going back to Hurst, though, I think he's... The reaction to him in general has been emblematic of a larger issue with the club in general this season. The reaction is a bit too knee-jerk at some times. We open the season with three clean sheet victories. We get a fourth in the draw with Doncaster. Should have won that game with the missed Sean Williams penalty. Then we go 2-15 in terms of victories to games. And now we're unbeaten in over a month. And that first three clean sheet victories takes us straight to the top of the table. Then all of a sudden we go on a run which drops us to 17th. Now, as you say, we're six points off the top. Yes, Certain teams have games in hand because we played that international weekend, but we are still making our way back. I, th I think the issue we have at the moment is a lot of people are trying to describe our entire season in too short a time. So we get three clean sheet victories to start the season. Fantastic. Personally, don't think we were actually very good in those games, but we got the job done. But then that opened up people to saying, right, we're on a promotion assault to the championship. You go 2-15, and 15, people are all of a sudden going, well, we're on a relegation battle to League 2. It's like, well, actually, we're 18 games into the season. There are still 28 games to play. Uh, you know, that, that sort of talk, it, it unsettles the entire club when you, you've got fans speaking in such ways. And then all of a sudden you go unbeaten in a month. Everyone's mentioning playoffs again. George Hurst was the worst signing in Pompey history. All of a sudden, within the last week, I've seen talk of people saying we should sign him permanently. The guy's rumoured to be on 12 grand. It will be, and as rest. of next season, he'll get an automatic <laughs> um, wage rise at Leicester that takes him to 12 grand a week. Now, I, I will not even hide the fact that I've been impressed with Hurst the last couple of weeks, having criticised his substitute cameos when he's come on. Because I think, yes, you'll be rusty when you come on 60 of 75th minute, but you've still got to apply yourself. You've got to show the manager why he's wrong for not starting you. And if you don't do it in those moments, you vindicate the reason he's not starting you. When Hurst has all of a sudden started playing well, I'm now keen to see him do more. For him, Michael Jacobs will be the two most important players when we come into a, a nice little series of non-league games. Obviously, we've got Exeter in the EFL Trophy soon. We've got Harrogate in the FA Cup. We've got a nice little break from league action to get everyone back from injuries, let suspensions go by the wayside. You get 180 minutes of league-free football to keep working on players who are still working their way back. George Hurst, for me, is one of those players where everyone just needs to be a little bit more patient, let this season play out more. Again, I break this season down into thirds. First 15, hapless. I don't know what this team's about. Second 15, you're in January at that point. You need to identify 
what you're going to build your team on. What is the core principle and the core mentality you're going to build your team upon? You've either then got January to supplement that for a playoff push, or you bring in players that will help you build your squad for next season and again supplement that identity. I think right now, three clean sheet victories, two wins in 15, all of a sudden unbeaten in a month. I think people are all of a sudden trying to change the narrative for our season all the time. I still think throughout all of it, we'll probably finish about ninth. I think where we are right now is probably where we end up. I don't necessarily think that's an awful thing, but I, I don't think it's in entirely helpful. In a transition helpful. season. In a yes, uh, fingers <laughs> raised and that. I just don't think it's entirely helpful that we've had a narrative, well, we're going to the championship and now we're going to League Two and now we're going back to the championship. I think... Yes, there's a lot fans of questions at the club, Ryan, right? Fans are there are questions. Hell, I've been the one to raise those questions. That's why I'm in the Shearer and not in the South Stand press box. But <laughs> I, I think there has to be a certain level of patience to see how things play out, especially for the Cowboys. This is their first full year in the job. You've got to allow them time to try and move things together, especially when they had a, a third of the budget to do it with. Y you would hope come the January transfer window if, we, if we're still in touch and distance of the playoffs or in fact in the playoffs by the January transfer window you'd hope the board would recognise that and say do you know what we're going to give you a little bit more money to go and get that one player two players that you desperately need to turn this team around I think it's no coincidence that the, the team are getting the results they are getting because they're getting fitter they're understanding for what the Cowleys actually want we talked about football intelligence before and I think the penny is finally dropping with these players. They know, they can see the end results and, it, and it's, it's a trust thing. The Cowleys have got to trust the players and the players have got to trust the Cowleys. Um, and you know, and the Cowleys are telling them to, to do this for a reason. They know it's a tried, tried and trusted method and I think the players can now see, see that and they, they trust, I'm not saying they didn't trust the manager before but they're, they're trusting the, the decisions the reasons why you know Michael Jacobs Danny Cowley said yesterday it was tough on Michael Jacobs to, to come out of that team after his performance against Wimbledon yet be understood why because there was a lack of defences so they had to come up with formation to, to make it work um, you know and again last week I said I don't think Michael Jacobs is an impact player where well, he proved me wrong yesterday didn't he <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, off, off the back of what uh, Jeff's just saying there about yesterday, because before we forget, we, we've got to mention um, Steve Evans' post-match interview. I'm just going to play a clip from it now. I'm here, sweetie. Ow! Screw you, you little turd! I hate you. You always ruin everything. God, it's a family of idiots. I wish... I wish I was never born. Sorry, no, um, that, that was not the correct clip, but pretty much what it sounded like anyway. We're not going to play it because it was just... What a squinny. Many, many wonderful nuggets of audio that the Pompey fans were able to nourish themselves <laughs> upon. It just, oh, feed it to me. Feed it to <laughs> me he, into so my veins. Though, he? He, he's, he's known for that, though. He's, he's known for whinging and moaning when decisions don't oh go his way. Christ. You know, and, and, and you read articles about former players or employees under Steve Evans, and they all say he's a bully, and, and if he doesn't get his own way, and, and all that. So yesterday, it was just... You look at the Dali Cali um, celebration, it was like, it's nothing really. It's a 93rd minute winner away from home. Did you see that you video? You are going to go mental. Did you see that video that's now uh, spiralling around? Right, I know it was in a, 
uh, playoff final, whatever it was. But there's a pit, there's a video of Steve Evans running down the touchline. Pot kettle, mate. You, you, yeah. know, you can't. <laughs> what on. was interesting was when I watched the match back again today uh, through the full match replay, the commentary that was on the audio didn't come from Solent. It was actually the Gillingham commentators whose audio was used for the full match replay. What <laughs> what I found absolutely excellent was every time there was an instant in the game, you could see Steve Evans going absolutely berserk at the fourth official on the sideline, and you've got the two commentators going, well, that's clearly a foul to Portsmouth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you been... I think we were at Fratton Park, Ryan, during the, during COVID, uh, the, the lockdowns when we were playing... Behind, behind closed doors and he was there and all you could hear was him oh, could, yeah. oh my god it was I just I just oh, I, don't, I, I would love to have been a fly on the wall in the behind closed door season when Jerry Barton faced off against Steve Evans or Gareth Ainsworth versus Steve Evans or Ainsworth versus Barton for me this that two, has to be the loudest dugout in history it's, it's John Sheridan vibes, isn't it? There's there's, oh. there's two managers that if they ever came near our club, Jeff, generally, I, I would I would genuinely have to consider whether I support them anymore. Steve Evans and deluded Derek. Derek Adams. Honestly, that any of them two ever come near our club, <laughs> I'm done. Honestly, what, what a... He defines the word din, Steve Evans. Like, how disrespectful is that? I know you've just been beaten in the 95th minute. Yeah, it's hard... It's, do you think Danny Cowley would have refused to handshake? It was no, when the assistant manager off. looked at Nicky Cowley and told him to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and Cowley offered his hand out for a handshake and he fuck off. Evans talks about dis- being disrespectful just gone and, done and everything it, yeah, else, exactly. and yet he goes yeah. and does that. Yeah. You know, name me one manager who wouldn't celebrate a 94th minute winner. Kenny Jacket. Okay, <laughs> apart from Kenny Jacket. Light smatterings of applause <laughs> from the viewing gallery. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, you saw Evans on the pitch, on the side of the pitch, rather, all, all day yesterday, just just moaning at the fourth official about time. And Danny Cowley was asking a genuine question to the fourth official, and Evans is behind him, just chops it off. And he's just like, shut up. I think it also... In a, in a very odd way, it might also help the Cowleys. There were uncomfortable rumours, and I can't verify these, so they'll stay as rumours. There were uncomfortable rumours that some of the players had referred to the Cowleys as PE teachers, meek, come in, very polite gentlemen. A, complete rubbish anyway, but if you look at it in a context of what we've done in the last month, the Cowleys have uh, boiled the piss of Gareth Ainsworth and Steve Evans, two of the more antagonist, uh, antagonistic figures in the entire division. Now, so, all right, yeah, let's have it. Portsmouth need to be a little bit more nasty. They need to be annoying people a little bit more. And all of a sudden, we're finding a way to win games. As Cowley said yesterday, it's not always about having the skill, but it's definitely always about having the will. We're showing the will in spades right now, and if we annoy a few people along the way, so be it. We will not lose any sleep over Gareth Ainsworth or Steve Evans Definitely being a not. little bit annoyed. You know, this not. was the same Wickham who let off fireworks after beating Bolton <laughs> a week later. I, I've, I've heard a couple of fans say, say exactly the same thing. And I just point out to him, well, Jurgen Klopp wasn't a great footballer. Arsene Wenger wasn't. You know, Roy Evans at Liverpool, Gerard Houllier. Those kind of managers who were top managers were never great footballers. Thomas Frank got... Uh, Brentford to the Premier League last season he's never kicked a football professionally Brendan Rodgers Leicester manager just won the FA Cup never kicked a football professionally Uh, as far as I'm aware neither Cowley has ever played pro football I don't even think Steve Evans was a great professional footballer was he? (laughs) I think he I 
weirdly, I think he may have actually played pro football um, just what? by having a figure somewhat similar to myself. Um, but overall, it's just an outdated argument that if you if you haven't been a pro footballer, you're a bad coach, you're a bad manager, you don't know about... It's a really, really outdated argument. And the more managers that come in and you know have never played pro football before and do good jobs... Uh, I think Frank Warburton at QPR might be another off the top of my head. Graham Potter, for example, never kicked a pro football, took a fourth-tier Ostersund side in Sweden, won the Swedish Cup, gone to Brighton, and if they had a half-decent forward, they'd be doing even better than they already yeah. are, which, by the way, is eighth in the Premier League. Boo. It's a really outdated argument, but that's what it is. And, and, and the Cowleys, for the moment, again, long way to go. I still have questions that I've put on this very podcast, but for the moment, they are starting to assuage those questions and doubts with more intense showings. The players are starting to show it a bit more. If we are going to be a streaky team, which is something we've appeared to be so far this season, we just have to hope the streak takes us as far as it can before inevitably it ends. You know, and going back to that argument, you know, yes, but they literally were PE teachers. You know, so you've got to have an academic brain. You have to you have to study. They, they, they study the game. They are great studies of the game. And, and they're meticulous in their planning. What, what, apart from your UEFA badges, what qualification do you need outside of that to become a manager? You don't. There is no other qualification apart from UEFA badges. Uh, they uh, they yeah. have passed their UEFA badges and they come from an academic background. So therefore, if, if in, in my mind, when they're studying opposition and, and breaking the game down and articulating that, they can articulate very well to some players who maybe have got a shall we say a lower mental capacity than what anyone else of the same age would well let's focus on the word articulation how many great commentators through history not just in football but in sport overall never actually played the sport but capture the feeling and the spirit of the game so extraordinarily well Barry Davies one of the greatest commentators of all time John Motson Martin Tyler probably needs to retire our Martin Tyler he seems to have lost a bit of his juice but you go to other sports the late great Murray Walker at Formula One he certainly never raced at you know Monza but he understood the sport Sid Waddell and darts God rest him you've got people who articulate as you said the fantastic word for it who've articulated sport for so many years they understand the spirit of the game are we to dismiss them because they didn't kick the damn thing or they didn't drive the damn thing or they didn't throw the damn thing in their particular field? It's it's a really bad argument. I hope those rumours are not true because it, it would really dishearten me. But I'm glad that, despite the questions I have, that the Cowleys are starting to get starting to get what they want out of this side. Uh, so moving on from that, lads, I mean, we I think we briefly spoke about this on the first episode, Ryan. You were talking about a lot of objectives for the season. You, you, we're trying to still trying to figure out what we are as a team. Obviously, we've had this good run. You know, time's flying. We're in, we're in December. Where are we at now for you? It's very tough to gauge because we spoke, it might have been episode two of the pod, we spoke about what the hell we do in January. Do we try and supplement the squad to the tune of a late playoff push or do we very quietly say we're going to give the Cowleys as much budget as possible for next season because then you could do whatever you want with the players whose contracts are up this season let's say you get rid of all of them you've got two thirds of the budget to play with that's a hell of a lot 
to try and get in the region of 8 to 10 players compared to the 15 players he brought in on a third of the budget. So we won't, we won't get too far into what we do in January because we've already spoken of that. But in terms of objectives for the season, it sort of ties into what we were on about earlier where, you know, the fans' reactions, even players' reactions because you hear, you hear players when we were going through that run going, oh, we've got to pick ourselves out before we get into trouble. All of a sudden, after a few games, you hear some players talking about challenging for the top. One of the things that's helped aid our league position, certainly teams like Plymouth, I believe Plymouth are on a four-game losing streak in the league right now. Again, I think they have a game in hand on us because they we played in the most recent international break and they didn't. I think once you even that out, that six points off top becomes maybe nine. That's not disastrous, obviously. In terms of objectives, unless I missed it, because I was a little bit busy over the course of the summer uh, bringing a tiny human into the world, I sincerely apologise for that. I'll do better next time. Uh, <laughs> Unless I missed it, I still don't recall anyone, manager, player, middle management, hierarchy at the club, coming out and saying, what the hell we're supposed to do this season? What are we actually I meant to do this season? I think it's been implied, isn't it? It's been implied that playoffs is the minimum. But, yeah, I can't... It may have been said. I can't recall it being said. I'm, I'm kind of in the mindset... I'm not actually that bothered about them not saying anything because I don't want, the, I don't want false promises. Because we've had that for a my long only, time. My only issue with that, I, I understand that setting an objective is partially setting yourself up to fail. But ultimately, what motivates a group of people? If you don't have a standard to reach, if you don't have a level to which you're supposed to aspire, what motivates you week after week to maybe, go out and leave it all on the line? Maybe either the players know the objective. Yeah, but... but do they come? I mean, uh, you, could, uh, you could argue as well that maybe Cowley's not come out and said anything after his comments Jeff <laughs> at the back of last season maybe he doesn't want to repeat of that over my dead <laughs> over body over my dead body but not but yeah obviously that backfired <laughs> yeah but I, I think last season I think quite a few players down tools um, they, they obviously knew what was off, on offer on the table and I think you know the, the, the Tom Naylor that scored 7-8 goals to the Tom Naylor that finished last 7-8 games two different players yeah yeah I, th- I think for me overall I think because I have a language background and a communications background in terms of what I've studied I just want the elements of the club to tie together to sing from that uh, same hymn sheet last week I mentioned that you've got the CEO of the club the owner of the club the chairman of the club versus Cowley via the medium of the news talking about the budget Cowley saying Everyone knows we've been limited by the budget. But then the CEO, the chairman, whomever coming out from the hierarchy of the club saying, well, Danny Cowley's been supported. What else do you want us to do playing squad-wise? That, for me, is a bugbear. That's not a good look for the club. One of the things I think you should always give the fans is something to look forward to for the season. If you don't come out and tell the 14,000 or so people what your actual objective is, you're essentially gambling on them being loyal enough to part with their hard-earned money to show up for 46 games a season or 23 if they go to home games out of nothing but love. And at Portsmouth, we are extraordinarily lucky that we have thousands upon thousands of fans that do so home and away. It's been a goddamn freezing week and we've still sent many of our people to Lincoln and... Over uh, a thousand at Lincoln, uh, 1,500 yesterday. 1,500 at Gillingham in the elements. Open, yeah, it's... 
I just want the fans of any club, not just Pompey, I want the fans of any club to, to have a, an honest debrief at the start of a season or maybe at the end of the transfer window when you know what your squad is for at least half a season to come out and say, right, you've parted with your money, you've committed to us for 10 months of your life for the next year. This is what we're going for. I don't think that's too much of a thing to ask. And yeah, uh, obviously, Liam, you're, you're, you're probably bang on the money that the players behind closed doors know what that is. But if I feel that if you're going to stand on a terrace on a Tuesday night, you want to know what it's for. I think that people deserve those answers. I can't, I can't argue with that. Definitely. You know, and there's a difference between loyalty and blind loyalty. You know, we've, we, we said it last week. We have a hardcore... 10, 11,000 fans. Now, I believe those 10, 11,000 fans um, follow due to blind loyalty. The extra three, 4,000 that come on a match day, they're loyal to the club, but they're the ones who, who they see a run of bad results or they go to a game and the experience isn't that great. I'm not coming back here. You know, I'm not coming back for a few weeks. And then results pick up and you see those fans come out. There's people around me in the fat end, season ticket holders, haven't been there for the last five games. I'm going to reference a conversation that Liam and I had during the golden days uh, of the South Stand press box. I believe it was prior to the Sunderland home game when we uh, we mastered the elements to send them back in 4-0 back to, uh, to Wearside. I believe Liam asked me on air, is Danny Cowley under pressure? My immediate answer was no. You can't fail when you don't have an objective. You, you, you can't be a failure if you've got nothing to succeed to. I didn't. Even if we had an objective, I don't think a manager can be under pressure in October. When we played Blackpool last December, December first, they were fifteenth in the table. They beat us one 0 at their place, Bloomfield Road. Bloody cold night. I was mocked, derided at the time. I said that Blackpool side's finishing in the playoffs. Because Neil Critchley had got something going with that side since he switched to 4-4-2. They ended up winning the damn thing. December 1st from 15th. And then, I believe it was Bolton, 20th in League 2 in February. And they got automatically, they got promoted automatically. Didn't you, um, no manager is under pressure in October. Didn't you say MK Dons were going to piss the league as well? No, I, I believe that was a certain <laughs> man called DJ Liam House. <laughs> Liam always tries to pass that one on to me. You know, full you know, well it was him. You look at the last three or four years. If if the objective was promotion, then Kenny Jacket failed his objective for the last four seasons. Absolutely. However, if the objective is getting to the playoffs and to reach the final of the, the Checker Trade or or the Papa John's, whatever it's called at the time, then he passed. Now, I was reading something you know, a couple of weeks back by Adam Dark and saying, and it was about finances, and actually that. If Kenny was under the same criteria that we're, we're hearing the Cowleys were, um, you know, you, you've got to generate money for their for spending on players. And actually, the priority for Kenny Jacket was getting to the final of the EFL Trophy to generate those funds to spend on players for the following season. Now, if they'd come out and say, well, this is what we've got to do, we've got to go for it in the EFL Trophy to generate those funds, you can, go, you can kind of live with that and go, Okay, playoffs, make the EFL final. That's our objective. Have we passed that? Yes, we have. But if your objective is to get promoted to the championship, and that, that's the objective this season, and we don't make it, then you failed that objective, like you, like you rightly say. 
you've, you, ultimately, you've got to say promotion is the objective. Yeah, and uh, I can point to several references <clears throat> made by players and manager last season. I believe it was August when Kenny Jacket called us a championship-capable squad. Okay, the fans are allowed to judge you on those comments. Sean Raggett, when we won the first of our two uh, quite close trips to Ipswich, one for the FA Cup, one for the Championship, I was believe after the extra time winner that he scored in the FA Cup, he said that we were one of the best squads in the division. Okay, we will judge you on those merit merits, and rightly so. The squad fell short of those standards. Just as the same as when Danny Cowley came in for 12 games and said, over my dead body, will we, you know, will we reach the playoffs? That's why when the club were in talks to hire him on, the, on a permanent basis, a lot of people quite rightly turned around and said, okay, he's only had 12 games with a team that's not his, but he still made a commitment which he didn't reach the heights to. So don't automatically hand him a piece of paper and let him sign it. He's got to put forward a good argument as to say, okay, I shouldn't have made such a brazen claim with 12 games to go with a squad that wasn't mine, but here's my vision for the future. Obviously, he's most likely done that behind closed doors. Maybe on that basis, everyone at the clubs are being a little bit more cautious with their expectations for the year. But again, a lot of these people that go, uh, go to games, we know so many of these people, and it, they will never they will never stop going because the, the club thinks, oh, we're in a, a transition season, he says, open, closed brackets, or speech marks. But I just feel that people deserve an answer to that question. What are we doing all of this for? Not just because we love Portsmouth Football Club, but what is Portsmouth Football Club trying to do this season? See so if we can push one of the uh, media boys to ask that question in the next press conference. Oh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's a poison chalice, though, because the moment you say playoffs, you're being judged on is, that. Is there a podcast where you don't say poison chalice? We <laughs> <laughs> just about to say, said that last time. Didn't you? <laughs> Uh, right, so we get some reaction from uh, from the week from from the fans on uh, up to, uh, on the uh, on the social media. Look, we we must apologise in advance. We can't go through all of them. There are so many, and we are absolutely flattered. We've got nearly three thousand followers on Twitter, boys. Mental, mental. Uh, great win for the Blues, which is what we said on the road. Let's need rea- match reaction. Um, Joseph says, "Dow a game, but we won. That's all that matters. Seeing the Cowleys and the players at full time, and the fans singing their hearts out, brings tears to my eyes. What a club!" Fans and manager, we have uh, so so proud to be a Pompey fan. That was uh, that was great viewing. Jeff was at the video at full time of, of Cowley and the team walking over to the uh, to the Pompey fans, and we just we did, we've been crying out of a bit of passion like that for a long time, haven't we? And it's yeah, great to see. And, I, I, and it was either last week or the week before I said about the fans have a. I'm trying to think of the word now. Poison chalice. A twelfth man effect. <laughs> Sorry, just Sorry. That in <laughs> the players have a duty to get the fans on the feet and the fans have a duty to G the players up. Yep. So to see that at the end of the game yesterday, see the you know, the reactions of the of the players against Lincoln, you know, Joe Morell screaming come on at the fans, everything else. You can see that that unity between fans and the team is starting to happen. It's and a symbiotic relationship it if is you, will. you know and, and what happens to one affects the other <laughs> symbiotic where's that come is that even what a word uh, Star Wars oh, okay. uh, you know Attack of the Clones Not I think, think Qui-Gon <laughs> says it to Obi-Wan <laughs> <laughs> that was actually where I pulled it from <laughs> great mind time great mind the moment you said that I thought he's in my mind <laughs> <laughs> carry on Jim so yeah you know you, and, and we, I said that the other week you know when when those two things connect Fratton Park and the fans and the players it's just like this unstoppable force 
and we are you know, force like that reference there <laughs> Liam, Liam wants to pack up and go home now <laughs> I'll go back to the other pub we're going to Comic Con after this <laughs> um, right this is our one from Darren depleted squad but all fighting for each other and for the team momentum and unity building and good performances are the result let's keep this going uh, Darren in Canada uh, cheers Darren uh, Niall says such a poor performance but who cares superb effort to keep a clean sheet uh, with no centre-backs available always the mark of a successful team if you're scoring important late goals we've now done two weeks straight Niall that centre-back issue Ryan oh, <laughs> I mean fair play to, for coming through that obviously game yesterday uh, Saturday with no centre-backs but we still managed to, 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 <laughs> to scrape a win yeah the comments saying that it wasn't a great performance is valid you can win while being poor there is absolutely nothing wrong with that it was a relatively poor performance what is it we said a few seasons ago we said it, we used to say it on air champions win ugly that was it we haven't champions said that for a while ugly. I've seen you know you've seen ugly wins in every sporting event in every sport football's no different from that you can win while playing poorly a relatively poor performance against a relatively poor Gillingham side as well who are having their own injury issues. They had their own injury issues during the game. At one point, they had to bring on an 18-year-old winger who, who had barely any football league experience. So there's there's no shame in calling it poor performance. But as Cowley rightly said yesterday, it doesn't always need to be about the skill, but it does definitely need to be about the will. Moving back to that centre-back issue obviously didn't help things. I think at times that central back three, oh my, the structure was a bit off. You had... Obviously, Ogilvy forming the centre part of it. Williams to his left, Freeman to his right. And there were so many times where it wasn't necessarily a three. You had one breaking rank, yeah. two moving across. It was it was like a very poor game of Tetris where things were moving around each other and there, were, there was no structure. For large parts of that game, the back three, as it were, only had John Akinde to deal with. And there were times that the three of them were still outgunned by the one Akinde. And that even sometimes... Uh, went down to the more experienced Ogilvy. There was one chance where Akinde rolled him 180 degrees, went up the field to the tune of half the pitch, fending off Freeman and Williams either side. Really, it was a poor attempt on goal that Bazunu just sort of, you know, parried into the ground and smothered up. But yeah, for a lot of that time, it was three on one, and and still that Akinde won his fair share, <coughs> share of battles in that. I still think he may have been a little bit unlucky not to get a penalty. Oh, very, yeah. very clumsy yeah. uh, challenge by Bazunu. But, as I said before the game yesterday, all Ogilvy had to do, seeing as he was the leader of that defence, is get the team through it. Because, again, you know, coming up, you've got Exeter in the trophy. You've got Harrogate in the cup. I believe Harrogate comes first. The Exeter game has been... <laughs> the Exeter game has been moved back a week because Exeter played Bradford City away in the FA Cup. That game was a tie, so it got replayed at Exeter. Exeter won that game in extra time 3-0 before it came out that Exeter made an illegal sub in extra time that means the replay needs to be replayed. Oh, the refereeing standards as good as ever. So, that's why our game against Exeter has been pushed back a week. But, as I was saying, you've got a little bit little bit of a gap in the league now you get to play two other games you get your defense back to normal and so prior to the game all Ogilvy needs to do is get that team get that back line through the game relatively unscathed there are a few worrying moments but overall another clean sheet you take them how they come you pat everyone on the back 
you applaud the efforts of Rico Hackett at wing back. Obviously, it's an unnatural thing for him. I do think he probably lost as many battles as he won. I still really like the look of Ryan Jackson at right back for Gillingham. I think him and Ogilvy last season were one of the more, if unspectacular going forward, more defensively solid fullback partnerships in the division. And obviously, Ogilvy himself is, is, yes, he is somewhat a centre back, but it's not his primary position. So he's still doing a little bit of a a rejig job himself overall the centre-back issue we're approaching December Danny Cowley's been saying for a while now that we should get Clark Robson back before Christmas now how long does he last though how long does he last he had a big foot injury at Rotherham he had a couple of injuries uh, when he was at Blackpool in the 17-18 season it's another instance of us maybe gambling a bit too a bit too optimistically on a player's injury records a hip flexor injury is not a common injury to suffer. It's not something you see as a commonality in football. The other interesting issue, he is our captain. He was our captain before he got injured. So you need to hope that when he comes back in, he stays that way. Because realistically, we've talked about some of the, 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 menta- uh, the mental issues that our team has. It does not help that your club captain for the year is in the treatment room yeah. for a lot of the time. One player I'm going to mention... Uh, we've, we've spoken about him a couple of times he's on loan from Millwall but listen get the contract out put it on the table and let him sign it <laughs> Romeo uh, he, what he a player he doesn't want to go back to Millwall does it, hasn't he well he has uh, I think he has issues with the fan base yeah. there over the uh, taking a, the knee stance what a player he's, he, you talk about signings of the season and, and he for me is, is, is up there as, as probably apart from the other Millwall player we had on loan who's that uh, <laughs> oh, so Tim Bompson. <laughs> everyone's, everyone's loving um, your name. Uh, you know, he's a contender for player of the season for me. Brilliant. But he's he's just... He, he just goes up and down that wing effortlessly, doesn't he? It's like it's like he's running just as hard and fast in the 89th minute than what he was in the first minute. And, and yeah, what a player. If, I mean, if we, if we can sign him... I mean, is he out of contract? He is, he yeah. Is if we contract, can get him, yes. I mean, I mean, he clearly loves it here. If he can just tie up the crossing a little bit, I think sometimes his, his crossing final product is a bit slack. Yeah. But again, when you've got a player that's that energetic through 90 minutes, it's not only what he can do on the ball, it's what he limits his opposite number to do. If you've got a player with such energy and pace throughout the 90 minutes, his opposite number has to be so cautious about making his own runs up the field because he knows if I leave a gap behind me, He's oh in. no, Marcus Harness and Marlon Romeo are going to saunter off past me into the sunset. So players with that energy, that fitness, that desire to get yeah. forward, they make the opposition think about what they can realistically get away with as well. In that instance, that's why Romeo, once he's settled into that role there, has been one of those players that just constantly looks to influence the game, rather like Joe Morrell. And I think when you've got two players like that, you start to understand the difference between League One and the Championship and the size of the task of not only getting there, but staying there. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned, I'll come back to the uh, to the comments on the uh, re- replies to the tweets in the set, Jeff. We were talking about the South Stand. Uh, on the last episode and a few people got involved and, and said they were asking questions about why they actually sat there now because of the restrictive viewing so yeah we, we've opened a can of worms I, I can't remember the, the guy who posted the picture and it, honestly if that was my seat I would have moved I mean he sits there and he's got the wooden the wooden facade of the stairwell blocking out the bottom right hand corner of the Milton end yeah. I mean 
even when you stood up, you'd only just you couldn't even see the touchline, and that's that. That for me is just shocking. The worrying thing for me overall. Actually, I'll make a positive first. I'll make a positive first. We do want balance. I don't want criticism just for criticism. I am glad. Um, obviously, th- this comes amid the backdrop of that video going out midweek where they did a CGI-generated almost drone shot of Fratton Park, what it's going to look like after the four phases. Yeah, good. Of- uh, finally, the disabled fans will get a roof. It, yeah. It's been bugging me for so long that they get they get lukewarm tepid cups of tea and rained on in the wheelchairs it's not good enough it finally this this should have been one of the first things that was dealt with when the new ownership came in but i'm finally glad that a an actual unrestricted viewing area with a roof over its head with nearby facilities is being sorted out for disabled fans great news for the pompey dsa they're a lovely bunch of people i'm glad that's being sorted out for them right that's positive the other way watching that video one thing became unpleasantly apparent to me the south stand will continue to have supporting pillars in it the new milton you said end, that last week the new milton end will have supporting pillars in it the north stand will have supporting pillars in it in other words the only pompey stand that has unrestricted viewing is the one that was not built and or reprofiled and or reconstructed by the eisners the only stand in the entire ground without restricted viewing was built 24 years ago by terry venables so every single stand that the eisners are working on and will be built for the future of fratton park will have restricted viewing it's not. Ju- I thought it was just the South Stand that was going to be that. It's it's all three stands. Oh, but it looks really nice though. I, I should, it's rubbish. Not uh, not the whole. I should rephrase that. The entire renovation work in itself isn't rubbish. Again, dif- disabled facility is great. Extra capacity, well, a little bit extra capacity, great. But the uh, three stands, twenty twenty three, twenty four. When this is done. Restricted viewing, three stands, seventy-five percent of the ground. Oh, that's crap! The the only way that those poles are going to go out in the north stand is when they build a whole new stand. Or I was just about to say that may change which the north yeah, yeah, yeah. a Premier League away because the, the, they've essentially come out and said we're not making a new north stand until we get to the Premier League. Pompey would need to get two promotions to reach that aim. Can you tell me the last time Pompey? got two promotions not back to back in consecutive years but back to back without a relegation in between when we went from Div 4 to the first division second division yeah and that was the 80s 1987 I believe we made it to the Premier League or the old first division I believe let's be honest we got relegated from that but that was one promotion back to the Premier League so it was actually when we went from the old uh Div 3 to Div 2, two yeah. and Div 2 to Div 1. Well, we are the, the, the longest team in Div 2, didn't we? And yeah. So we are um, the last time we went back to back promotions, including a promotion to the top flight without a relegation in between, was essentially 40 years ago. Working by that logic, considering that we've already got one promotion from League 2 to League 1 now, and we need another two promotions to get to a new North Stand. Are we supposed to expect, what, another 30, 40 away from the Premier League? Using the logic of but, how long it took us the last time. But being realistic now, you look at the teams that have gone up from League One to the Championship, they've all they pretty much all struggled. 
Blackburn, exactly. Wigan, Charlton, and they've Luton, come back down again. It's, it's really realistic. It's not going to happen. Is Barnsley, it, it's not. And on the uh, no, and, and well, not you know throwing shade here, but the the budget we're on as well, and the budget we'll probably get if we go up to the championship. It's not going to happen. Be, on, be honest. The, for honest. me, it's it's a sad indictment <laughs> of the foresight and planning of this club. We mentioned the foresight and planning of the club when it came to the South Stand roof last week. The foresight and planning of the club now relies on this playing squad being good enough to reach the Premier League. That's not a plan. That, that's like throwing 50 on red at the casino and hoping it w- w- works out. That's not a plan. You know, you, you're right. You're banking, on, you're banking on this team or a future Portsmouth team getting to the Premier League. And like you said, we're probably 15 years away from that. And you're also... You're also banking on Portsmouth having the required squad to A, beat off the the rest of the division as we are now and then usurping the entire championship. Fulham, for example. West Brom, constantly... Norwich, constantly going up to the premiership, back down to the championship. Here's another £90 million of parachute payments. Albert Pompey, here's 50 grand try and get to the Premier League through that it's it's not a plan it's not it's hope it's hope and prayer again yeah. that that doesn't mean they're awful owners but you can't cite oh we'll build a new North Stand if we get to the Premier League what is that now uh, you know I know Andy Cullen has, has spoken openly about this saying they want to follow the Brentford model by developing a group of young players and you sell them on to generate money and therefore that money gets reinvested to build get better players and you sell them on and everything else you know that's a great that's a great model to follow don't get me wrong but you've got to invest in that those young up and coming players you've got to stop those players going to the Chelsea academies and, and you know the Arsenal's and, 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 and teams like that who are, who are coming down here and poaching our best local talent and, and taking them to, to their own teams now for that to happen You've got to invest money in the academy to set up the facilities and everything else <laughs> to therefore generate those players to you know bring on develop those players to generate the revenue to build that exactly. Because logistically, we're a long way off that. Because if you look at the young players we could develop right here, right now, you're still maybe five years away from turning those players into a profit. At this moment in time, it's got to be. Hachi Minoga, who's on loan at a non-league side, and Liam Vincent, who's only just started kicking a football and training because he's been injured for a while. So realistically, at this moment in time, using the Brentford model, we've got two players that we could actually develop under that model. Maybe Callum Johnson, who I believe is 23, but again, he's on loan at Fleetwood. To be honest, do you think he wants to come back? Uh, probably not. But as, as, but Jeff, would he get as, the team? No. as Jeff rightly points out, you need to invest in it to then develop. It might take you several years to invest to get to the point where you can then bring the players in, but then you've got to develop the players. Let's say it's a four-year, uh, four-year timescale per step. That's if you started that today, and you spend four years investing, then you're bringing a player in a four, uh, four years time and develop him for four years. You're eight years away before you turn a profit. W- weren't we told that five years ago? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> By Jove, I think he's got it. <laughs> but this is where we are right now. I'm not outright calling them bad owners because we've seen what bad owners are. We've seen what bad owners are are still in the football league. Even recently as Mel Morris at Derby County, the money they've run up is absolutely dreadful. I would never campaign for a single second for Eisner to get out the biggest wallet in the world 
and and say right have at it but all i want is an actual an actual plan i, yeah, I agree i don't think they are bad i think they are good owners and I, I, I think half of it is probably the pompey fans and i include myself in that understanding of the american sports model you know the american sports model is very different to to what we are used to in in in, in england um and, and I think we need to be educated on, on what their philosophy is as much as what they should be educated on what we expect. Michael and Eric have both come out publicly and said they're, they're not used to um, coming out and speaking to the fans because in America, American sports fans don't want to hear from the owners. He actually used quite a, a good analogy for it. I believe it was uh, going to see a theatre or going to the yeah. theatre and seeing it. He actually used quite a good analogy uh, in his, in his defence. But yeah, over here it is a different case. That also surprises me a bit because, like we said with architects, there's probably no one in the world that wouldn't pick up the phone to him. Likewise, there's probably no one who knows football in the UK that again wouldn't pick up the phone to him and explain to him what it's like. It's a surprise to me they found it surprising that no one told them that. Right, so moving on, lads. Um, just have looking at the emails. We have one from Matt Lowton. Cheers, Matt, for your emails this afternoon, lads. Loving the pod so far. Appointment listening every week. And I can't wait to hear your views on another gritty win yesterday. We've uh, we've gone through that, Matt, so hopefully you've uh, uh, listened there. And uh, I was also wondering if you guys could delve into Cowley's use of substance he's arrived at the club. Under Kenny, it always, always felt like changes were reactive rather than proactive. Too late in the game and almost like for like. Always like for like. Under Cowley, our approach to subs feels completely different. Changes are made as soon as they're needed. And uh, an answer and answer a specific tactical problem the game is posing. Surely there's little doubt that this has contributed to our newfound ability to grind out late wins and control games for longer periods compared to under previous management when we were often uh, besieged for the final quarter of games. Keep up the great work, play at Pompey. Good email there from Matt, and he's he's absolutely spot on as well. I think he is. You know, we, we talked about it loosely last week or the week before about Danny being proactive rather than reactive. And I think that, that was proven yesterday um, with bringing, bringing Jacobs on, um, you know, with 10 minutes to go. It's, all, it's, like, it's, it's like a being a boxer. Danny can smell blood and, and he knows how, to go, knows how to go and get it. Um, I think throughout, we had that little tricky spell of those 10, 15 games, but we've come through that. And, and I think it helps that the squad are in a good place as well. The squad, as we talked earlier, the squad are, are, are buying into what Danny and Nicky are doing. And I think that helps. So when they come on, they know they've got a part to play. They know they're going to get an opportunity within 90 minutes or maybe 94 minutes or, or, or whatever. That, like, like Jeff's just nailed it on the head there. But yeah, Matt, absolutely spot on with that email. And we, I remember so many times, Ryan, we'd be like, when you know Kenny made a sub, we're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? But that, you know, Cowley can, like you said, he can sniff, like can sniff blood before it happens, and he and he's and he's absolutely spot on with it. It's refreshing to see, isn't it? It is. Uh, I will play a little bit of devil's advocate and say I think Cowley was potentially a victim of rather like the squad, his own juices weren't flowing properly for a while. I would say during that really poor run of two wins in fifteen, there were quite a few substitutions that felt like for like. Uh, is in he had to be seen doing something there wasn't really there didn't appear to be much thought behind the substitution it was just sort of a case of 
Well, this person isn't working out. I need to bring someone else on in their, se in their stead. The subs were like for like. They weren't systemic. They weren't brought on to change the game. They were more out of more out of hope than planning. That was something that I did notice in the two wins from 15 games period. If I am going to provide a bit of balance on that front. What I would say, since we have started to go on this unbeaten run... Yeah, he's going straight for the jugular with some of these substitutions now. These substitutions are timed where Pompey are... They seem to be timed where Pompey are sort of teetering towards the end of a spell of domination in the match. And then he's gone, right, attacking sub. Let's let's rejig it. Let's keep the juices flowing. Let's bring in another attacking sub. Fresh legs going forward. The subs made yesterday were, were just an all-out attempt to go out and win the game. And sometimes it doesn't need to be tactically nuanced. It doesn't need to be some kind of uh, systemic, beautiful mind type work. It just has to be almost as simplistic as going on Football Manager and saying, we need to put someone else forward. We need to put someone else in there and, and go for it. We will finish this game the stronger team and look for that goal. And you can see that making those subs now, they're not just like-for-like -like changes. They are attacking subs. They are subs towards the end of the game that you feel that something is is there to be had, but they just can't reach it yet. Even when Ellis Harrison came on yesterday, there, there were quite a few like, oh, it's him. We had a couple of moments where it even looked like he might be the guy to go out and secure victory. Everyone who came on yesterday looked like they were going to positively influence the game. So not only were the subs he, make, uh, he made were intended to go for the jugular rather than just some like-for-like like hoping on a prayer. But even the players that came on, to a man, looked like they would be the difference maker. Jacobs, in the end, was essentially the difference maker. And it was an own goal, but it, it was his ball in. So I think Cowley's got his juices back as well. And now that he's seeing a, a, a more confident, more intense Pompey side, it's it might have put a little bit more... F faith back into himself and the way he wants to play the game yeah you know when you go when you go on a bad run even as a manager or a player you start you that self-doubt creeps in and and you kind of question everything you do you know you, we, everyone does it in their in their normal day-to-day -day jobs you know if something doesn't go right if, if, if you sit there questioning yourself it, you know it can it can you try and play it safe even more i think with 20 league games in plus the cup games and pre-season I think Danny and Nicky have now got a really good idea what these players are capable of, what their limitations are. Um, you, you know, yes, they had the 12 games last season, but on the whole, this is a vastly different squad to last season. And it's taken this long to fine-tune. And, and we sp spoke about it, um, I can't remember if it was last week or before, about changing the style of play. Are we playing it up to a target man to hold on and then build up from that? And we said, there's nothing wrong with that if it gets you the results and at the moment it's working and, and like I said it's taken them 20 league games to get to that point where they go we know what this player can do now is the time to put that player on yeah, I think at, at this stage there shouldn't be any surprises to the Cowleys of what these players are technically capable of really you should uh, have a handle on every single player's Strengths and weaknesses, their you know, their flaws as as well as what they can do that other players can't. At this stage it's about how you apply it, both individually and as a collective throughout the game. It's about mindset more than technicality right now. And that's where that's where the issue lies is the depth for this side is still too shallow. Yes, there's technical ability in this side, but is it offset by the technical ability and the application of other sides in the league? 
you can you can be as good as you want to but there will be most of the other clubs in this division working to that end as well there are some insanely good clubs in this division this club is it technically the best squad in the division no is it the deepest squad in the division no what you have to do then is you have to make up for that shortcoming by applying yourself an extra 10% you have to find it somewhere a because you're already several points down and likely to be more so once the international uh, the delayed international weekend games are caught up on you then you've got to find something else to claw back what will most likely be a nine point gap to the top and uh, you know whatever point gap to the playoffs but maintain that for the next half of the season that's going to be the task for now it's not how good these players are t technically it's about how you offset your own deficiencies to catch up to the rest of the division or at least what i perceive to be the top eight here's one for both of you lads um we'll move on from that one uh, a bit of homework for you for next week uh, this is from martin lloyd on the uh, on the dms on twitter lads i'm commissioning you to make a joe morrell song i actually find it quite sad uh, that how we're so disconnected from the team that we have no individual player chance but I reckon you can compose one for him so that's your homework I've been going through my 90s back catalogue of dance music to try and find an apt Jay Morrell song so far I've failed yeah I, I'm no, that's, I'm no that's good that's an interesting that. challenge yeah I, uh, even, I even tried to fit Jamal Lowe's Spando Ballet <laughs> Gold song into Jay Morrell and I can't I, I just couldn't get the syllables to work. Martin will work on it, mate. Uh, Joe, Joe, Joe Morell running up the pitch. <laughs> Left foot, right foot with his head. He makes you all his bitch. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Let's sing that in the fat end next week. That's, that's definitely going to get cut and put on Twitter <laughs> at some point. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, cheers to the Viking there for that one. Um... Lads, like we'll, we'll wrap up in, in a second, but moving forward, on, on to the next one, Ryan. Uh, how do you see that going? It's uh, as, as we've referenced previously, we enter a, a very odd month now. We've got some very good opponents coming up. We've got that hellish trip to Plymouth on December the 29th, which, <laughs> you know, the winter roadworks program in, in Devon is always a nightmare. Wednesday the 29th is going to be absolutely hellish. I'm not looking forward to going to that one and back, but we do it anyway. I believe also coming to town, we've got uh, Sheffield Wednesday. I believe that that's on the... Tuesday, isn't it? Tuesday the 7th. I think that's our next league game, actually. Yep. It's on Sky. So, well. uh, it is on Sky, yes. Back After being back. moved from Tuesday to Wednesday back to Tuesday. Yep. Three home games in a row now. We've got a tricky game against Morecambe. I know yep. they're not playing well at the minute, but... They do have a knack for going. Cole Stockton, God alive. He scored two goals from inside his own half this season. It, 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 absolute insanity. Talking of limbs, what a finish that was. That, uh, extraordinary. 94th minute, local derby, if you can call it that, away at Fleetwood. And he pings one from his own half to win it. Disgusting. 94th minute. Um, I don't think Steve Evans would have complained about the celebration for that one. Yeah. <laughs> and then also, as, as we referenced, you've got the cup game against Exeter. You've got the cup game against Harrogate. It's a good chance. It's a nice little buffer to get players back. There, there are no Tuesday league games for, apart from the Sheffield Wednesday one for a while. You do get a little bit of a buffer just to give players an extra week to get back from industry. You can put what you have of your second string out. It is going to be a tough month, though, because I believe we also have Oxford on Boxing Day. Yep. Jeff, how do you approach that Harrogate game? Then obviously you've got a game two days after, three days after in the league. For me, it's a distraction. 
I've, I think we're doing so well in the, in the league that we don't want a cup game at the moment. We want another league game. So for me, like Ryan said, I think you put Bass in goal. You play, say the fringe players, but we haven't got any fringe players because they're in the starting eleven at the moment. <laughs> um, but you know, but but put some youth out there with 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 maybe the the guys who are aren't regularly starting, like the likes of Ennis Harrison. Seen, yeah, seeing the, the youngsters on the bench, give them a go. Like Ju- uh, how is it, Harry Jurat White, get get him on there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, give them um, a go. Give give them experience, but have have the likes of Curtis Harness, you know, on the bench to come on. Just in case, you know, it is, it is a non-league team. They will be up in their game in the FA Cup. You know, and it is the magic of the FA Cup. And you save everyone for that Tuesday night. Yeah, definitely. I think overall the objective, just if we touch on objectives, if you look at what is an interesting month, you've got the, the hyper-powered Sheffield Wednesday comes to town who seem to add a big name to their squad every single week from free agency. You've got an odd game against Morecambe coming up. You've got a battle hard in Oxford. You've got a really good Plymouth who... Yes, at the moment, four-game losing streak, but by the time we actually go and visit them, you'd probably think they've sorted that out and they'll still be in and around the top of the table. At the moment, two points off the playoffs. There are teams that have got games in hand on us. Realistically, getting to January, you want to prove that you you can fight the top of the table and still be accounted for. Now... Early in the season, we failed to do that. MK Dons comprehensively outplayed. Wigan comprehensively outplayed. Sunderland, we didn't really know how to gauge it due to the elements. All of a sudden, you go to Wickham. Grand fight on display. Great victory. Those are the types of performances that need to be on display against types of Plymouth. Again, confident performance against them. Probably should have beat them overall in that game. Two really sloppy goals to give away. If we can play Sheffield Wednesday, if we can play Plymouth... And are those two games prove that we can at least hang with the top six or the perceived top six? It'll be a massive boon going into January. And again, that's another, what, four or five league games down the road. Further removed from that <coughs> abject run that slipped us down the 17th. All of a sudden, you're, you're two months removed from that run. You head into January, you're within touching distance of the playoffs... No one knows what the objective is, but if you go to essentially the halfway point of the season and you're in the playoff conversation at least, and you, you've just recently played two of the best sides in the league, I think actually can go into the new year, and this is this is a weird thought to have just a few weeks ago, you can go into the new year actually with a, with a fair amount of confidence that this team has a chance at least. You've got to take points off the, off the teams in the top six, top eight. And, and, you know, we're saying we're six points off top. For that to change and for us to close those six points, we've got to take points off of those teams. And I'm not talking about draws because that just keeps the gap as, how it is. You've got to beat those. We've got to beat three or four of those teams to stand a chance of making headway into, into that group of six. Um, if we can, you know, saying that, I think if we can get four points from Plymouth and Sheffield Wednesday, that is a... That is a great result. Anything more than that is just fantastic. Anything less than that, you're giving yourself a hard, hard task to to get back in there. There you go, uh, lads. Before we uh, before we run off, uh, got to say a couple of thank yous uh, to Anonymous. I'm not sure who done it, but someone. Um, there's a there's a page we've got set up on our link tree uh, called Buy Me a Coffee or something like that, and it's basically just a little bit of a, a donation page towards the podcast because um, obviously this is does cost money to, to to host online, but you know 
we're not we're not begging for money but I just want to say thank you very much to whoever donated 25 quid which is brilliant just paid for a whole month of us yeah, talking so yeah <laughs> so thank you very much to whoever that was uh, do let us know I'd love to buy you a pint next time we're around uh, if you are local but appreciate that and also a big thanks to the guys here at the Shearer Arms for letting us host this uh, this uh, this episode three which we need to think of a name on the spot come on what's it called <laughs> uh, how, wait how have I come up with a charm for Joe Marob I can't think of an episode title no. wrong pub right yeah yeah the wrong pub <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I've done that one. yeah no ma- massive thanks to Shira it's been a, a really nice place to spend the evening yeah. some great music as well purple ring yeah. oh. I, I was expecting you to break out into Elvis when that was playing <laughs> Do you know, what a tune to end on as well a bit of, uh, bit of Lighthouse Family what a ch- I love our Lattice family tune uh, but yeah we need, we need to figure a name but we'll, we'll figure that out <laughs> the, the wrong goes pub out. I thought we decided <laughs> oh, that do you want to call it that alright the wrong <laughs> the, ro- the, the wrong pub it is and but next yeah. week it could be the right pub <laughs> there you are what a prat I can't believe I've done that uh, but I, yeah. I like the way you jokingly text me are we in the same pub well I, I was driving to the pub and it flashed up on my car screen so I, I piped it through the car's uh, automated speech <laughs> and it's just Liam Howes what pub are you in? <laughs> and Jeff goes, well, I am in the pub. And I, I'm going down the M275 going, am I going to the right pub? <laughs> it was when Jeff said to me, it's quite loud in here, there's music playing. I'm like, no, there's not. <laughs> it's, it's quite I mean, <laughs> the, the, obviously the loser in this is Liam. <laughs> the, win- the winner in this is the Newcomb. Hey, just get some free publicity. <laughs> yeah. Now we will go down there. Big shout out to them. But yeah, thank you to the Shearer Arms for the yeah, hosting. Been a, been, that. A, been a fun evening I'm of a it. Big, big fan of their scarf above the door at the entrance. Scummers one, Pumpy four. And it actually it isn't actually Southampton one, Pumpy four. It actually says Scummers one, And it one, also Pompey says four. Slaughter eight St. Mary's. <laughs> <laughs> and there Good is stuff. a delicious. Uh, Goodman's Pompey shirt framed above it's, it's a, uh, the dart spot. I, I want to say it's 1993-94. Good stuff. Uh, lads, thank you very much. Pleasure as always. And we will see you for episode four. Are we there already? I know. Up we the blues. Make, think we'll make it past week one. Up the blues. <laughs> <laughs> well, we always didn't. <laughs> Cheers, lads. Podcast Network.